Hi, my name is David Siegler and welcome to my podcast. Hi, property sourcing profiteers. Welcome to the latest episode of the only podcast that's available just for you if you are sourcing properties for profit. This is the podcast for you. Team PSP, this is where you need to be. And we are going to talk today about estate agents, guys. Estate agents. And I know I've spoken about estate agents before, but I'm going to tell you what I see and what I hear and what I've uh, uh, what's come across my desk in the last week or so. And, and it's really funny because there's been sort of a, a synergy. All sorts of things have happened from all various talk, types of people talking about sourcing deals from estate agents uh, and more to the point not being able to source deals from estate agents so let's have a look at what uh, you are doing what some of your colleagues are doing uh, the what I do right and the people that I work with what we do and uh, I've tried to distill some of the differences to help you just to move you forward a little bit okay because estate agents are a massive beast in the industry now i know i read the press i see there's all sorts of disruption going on in the industry but uh, apparently right move still has 90 percent of the properties available for sale in the united kingdom on its portal now i don't know if that's true that's what they say um whatever they have a lot of properties for sale Right. So um, estate agents are still a very powerful beast in the industry. And even with the disruption, I can see it continuing for some time yet. Okay. Uh, so we've got to be able to work with estate agents. I would say 98, 99% of my deals, the people that I'm working with, come through estate agents and the relationship that we build with those key estate agents. So it's a very, very important thing. Now, I know, I know there are people out there that say, oh, if it's on the market, it's never a deal. You know, it's got to be off market. You've got to be direct to vendor. You've got to do loads of um, marketing to direct to vendors, direct to landlords, direct to all that stuff. Yes, yes, I get it. And I know that works. I know it works. But estate agents sort of take all that pain away uh, because they get a lot of properties coming in, right? But it's not working for you. Okay, it's not happening and it's not happening quick enough, maybe, uh, because what you're doing is you're going in to see the agents, you're doing loads and loads of viewings and you are not finding the deals or you're finding resistance from estate agents when you do find the deals. Okay, so um, this is intended to help you if you're in that situation. So here is what I see. I see friends in the industry that get a bit of training, not necessarily deal packaging training, but maybe, you know, other strategies, but they have to go and source deals. The great thing about deal packaging is that it uh, includes all the skills you need for every other strategy, right? Because it, it doesn't matter what you do, uh, commercial conversion, service accommodation, buy-to-let, flips, whatever, you still have to go and find the deals. You do. So what I'm going to share with you for the next half hour or so, however long this takes, is maybe just a way to refine your approach to a state agent so uh, you get a better result. And it's all about the relationship. So this is what I see. I see people rush off to do viewings, right? They come off the training, whatever training it is, and they rush off to do viewings. And sometimes there are mentors in the industry and due respect to all mentors out there in, in the industry. But some mentors say you have to do X amount of viewings a month. 
X amount, break it down, so many a week, right? Do 20, 30 viewings. If you do 20, 30 viewings, uh, then you can make offers, then you're going to get deals, right? Because it's all a numbers game. Well, maybe. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that that serves you in building the relationship with your local estate agents. And uh, the key thing here is not doing the viewings, right? It's not even finding a deal this week, next week, the week after. The key thing is building relationships with the estate agent. Because you once you've built the relationship, then you're going to get deals off-market deals before they come to market deals on a regular basis. So let's not make a mess when we start by doing things incorrectly. So what typically I see is uh, you've done a weekend course. Monday morning, you're down your local estate agent. You might go into two or three just to spread the load a little bit and book a load of viewings. And then you go out and you do the viewings and um, maybe the properties aren't really what you expected to see when you booked the viewing. I mean, you knew roughly where it was and what it is. You know, you you guys are pretty smart, right? Uh, but you've gone off and found view and, and you're looking at it and you're not sure. And um, gosh, maybe you're even thinking about making an offer because, of course, there are mentors in the industry who say, you've got to do the viewing so you can make the offers. And if you make the offers, you're going to make, get the deals because some of the offers are going to uh, are, are going to be accepted, right? So then you get deals. Well, I, I just don't roll like that. That is not how I roll, okay? Because what I see is this. You go out to do the viewings, but it's the people who you meet when you're doing the viewings uh, from the estate agency, and they're not. sometimes they're not the people who can serve you. Because what I find is very, very common is that key members of the estate agent's office do not conduct the viewings. If you do 20 viewings with one agent, you are likely to meet two, maybe three people who uh, basically just give you access to the house. They're, they're either very, very young in training, or maybe they're retired people, retired property people who have come to work with the estate agent you know, a few days a week. And their job, their role is to open up the house so you can view the house. They know nothing of the vendor situation. Uh, they know possibly very little about the house, although I would say that I have met more senior viewing-type people. Can't think, can't think of what their title is, really, but you know who I mean. More senior viewing-type people who have been around the block a few times, been doing it for years and years. My, there's one I know that's even a retired surveyor. They will point out to me, structural issues you know damp all that sort of thing um troublesome worrying issues in the house i'm sure they're not supposed to do it uh but they will do it as well but those are not the people who are going to help you build your business the people who are going to help you build your business are back in the office and if you spend time with just the uh people who facilitate your your entrance into the property it's not going to serve you right so you can spend a lot of time looking at houses that don't really fit the criteria, and we're going to come back to who they fit the criteria for, right, um, and not really build the key relationships. But, you know, you spent so much time. So then I get uh, messages, posts on the forum, the occasional phone call that says, oh, I've done loads of viewings and, you know, I can't get a deal, Dave. Can't get a deal. It's not happening, right? Or sometimes... Uh, frustration creeps in and 
friends were just put in an offer, right? For, for why? I'm not quite sure why, okay? But they've put in an offer because they've done loads of viewings. They think they have to make some offers, right? So they put in an offer. Uh, heaven forbid that offer is accepted because what are we going to do with the thing? Because it doesn't really work, right? So I see all this all the time. So here is Dave's foolproof way to make sure you, A, you build your relationship with the estate agent so that can serve you, and B, uh, you re retain your credibility. Very important you retain your credibility. So here, here we go. Before you speak to an estate agent, before you go near an estate agent's office, get to know where it is that you are working. Go on right move, and in two or three hours you can work out which areas of your town or city are right for which criteria, for which strategy. So what do I mean by that? If you're going to source single-let properties, then you want good, solid family areas, right? You do not want the Bronx. You do not want areas where there are social difficulties, where... Um, in honesty, where there's a lot of investment properties, you know, where there's streets and streets of tenanted properties, you've got no control over who the neighbours are, and sometimes, sometimes those areas can go downhill. When that happens, then the local authority will bring in selective licensing some of the time. There are many areas in the UK now that have selective licensing areas for single lets. Uh, usually those areas have got some sort of social difficulties. So if you're sourcing for single lets, keep away from selective licensing areas. The prices will be cheaper on paper, you know, but you're never going to make those gross yields work. So on paper, they look, you know, 10%, 12% maybe in the north of England. But by the time you've factored in voids and tenants that don't pay and damage and stuff like that, 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 that gross yield number is going to come way down. So if you're going to single lets, Keep away from selective licensing areas. Where can you HMO? So let's say we're looking at something a little bit more juicy for our investors. Can we multi-let? Well, this is all about room sizes, team. It is. So obviously, the first thing you have to do is check with the council where the Article 4 areas are. Um, I looked at a town in East Anglia only yesterday with a mentee. And it was it was there, clear as day, on the council website. And it was also very clear that the Article 4 area, the area in which it's uh, you cannot start a new HMO without planning permission, that's basically what Article 4 is, um, it was very clear that the area was very restricted, very restricted. There were just two or three streets, and they're all together. So, you know, the rest of the city, and this was a city, uh, we were okay to trade in. So identify areas near big employers, near hospitals, uh, so that you've got a ready supply of tenants for your in for your investors' rooms that you're going to build out of these uh, multi-lets. And then the research is all about floor plans, okay? So um, floor plans are pretty good these days. Any house that goes on the market usually, usually has a floor plan. If they haven't got a floor plan, I suspect it's not a house you want to look at anyway. Um, so have a look at floor plans. See how the flow is. See if it will become a five, six bed. Multi-let, HMO, where the bathrooms are going to be. Are you going to go with the ensuite model? Right? Are you going to take on a big project for your investor at big, big numbers? Uh, have a look online. We haven't spoken to an estate agent yet. Have a look online. Do your due diligence. This is what I would do. I would. Okay. Um, service accommodation. 
you know, make sure you are near to major routes. Now, I, I have my own little take on this serviced accommodation, where they work and where they don't work. In my experience, and I have run them in my own portfolio, right, so I am genuinely speaking from experience here, they kind of work everywhere. They do. It kind of works everywhere. I've got serviced accommodation units in the middle of what looks like exclusively residential areas, okay? There's no obvious reason why they would work there, okay? Um, but they do work if these are the two or three criteria I go to, right? They are near... They are near great vehicular access to somewhere, right? So you're near a main road that leads to a motorway. You're near a main road that goes into the city centre. Uh, you've got parking, on-street parking, right, is not an issue. You need parking somewhere. On-street's fine, okay? Um, so that works as well. So do your research on the um, areas for single lets that you've already defined you're away from selective licensing i certainly wouldn't do sa in a selective licensing area but you might be able to do sa in one of the other single let areas right as long as you've got great access to mot motorways we had a, a property in oldham some time ago it's 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 not being used for service accommodation today uh that we filled pretty much for two years with tradesmen who were working at Manchester Airport building a new terminal there. Now, this house was probably, not accounting for the traffic, about 30 minutes away from Manchester Airport. Anyone that knows the area will know that. So not an obvious SA for Manchester Airport, right? However, it was 200 yards from the M60 motorway and the M60 feeds onto the M56, which goes straight into the airport. So uh, it was actually a really cool place for these people in particular that wanted uh, access to Manchester Airport and they were looking for a decent quality, very cost-effective accommodation. So in my, to my mind, SA works everywhere uh, so long as you've got great access to road, rail, whatever, tram, bus, and the city centre. I'm even running uh, an SA unit in the Maisonette above a shop uh, in a, to be honest, from a retail point of view, in a dying retail parade. It's a secondary, probably tertiary parade of shops now, right? Uh, but once you're in the flat, it's cool, right? It's a really nice apartment, and, and it's it's been occupied now for 10 months uh, without a break, forgive me. We did take a break one week in January. We left it, deliberately didn't take a booking uh, because it needed refreshing. You know, it had been working hard, this unit. So we did. We broke for a week, and we'll probably do the same next January. Um, but we, it's been occupied pretty much for 10 months, and we got another two months bookings ahead of us, solid, all right? mainly with contractors, almost exclusively with contractors. And uh, the flat's great once you're in it. I would say that when you access it, the access areas are not great. It's it's If you can picture a 1960s parade of shops and you have to walk around the back, there's maisonettes above. They, you know, they're quite well cared for. They've all got UPTC windows now and stuff like that uh, from the front. They look quite smart. But you have to walk around the back. It's a bit dark. You have to go up this metal staircase to access the first floor um, sort of big landing area and you walk along a concrete corridor till you get to the what is the front door of the apartment which is at the rear of the building um so i was a bit worried it wouldn't work didn't have to worry at all 
does work, right? So do your due diligence, right? So what have I said so far? We haven't spoken to an estate agent, right? So what you need to do is your due diligence. Make sure you know where single lets are going to work and what the sort of price entry level is. You're not doing the Bronx stuff. You're not doing selective licensing area stuff. You're doing the next step up. So to put some real numbers to that, maybe, maybe single lets in around Greater Manchester, you can buy them at 50, 60 grand. You can but those are not the ones that you should source for your investors. Let's go 70, 80 grand. Okay. So what, what do you do then? Okay. Then I would call your local estate agent. This is what I would do if it was me. I'll just share it with you. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying it works. I would call. I would talk to, I would make a note of who I've spoken to in the office. I would tell them what I'm doing, you know, I am working with a group of investors. We've targeted this particular area somewhere we will want to invest. Um, it matches our criteria. It, it, with the money that we've got available, um, some of my investors are cash, some are going to buy on the mortgage, but we know this is affordable for us so that we won't hold up any vendors in the event of an offer being accepted. So we are looking for single lets in this particular area. We're looking for houses near hospitals, uh, uh, big employers that will work on um, uh, an HMO basis. And I've been looking at your floor plans online and I've identified just one or two that I'd like to go and have a look at. Okay, so we are in a position, Mr. Estate Agent, Mrs. Estate Agent, to buy one or two properties a month. I'm working with a syndicate of um, investors. Uh, We'd like to come and have a look. And uh, I'd like to meet you. I'd like to meet you. I'd like to sit down and just talk about how we can build our relationship going forward. Pause. So what have I done there? I have shown that I am credible in the sense that, and um, I say credible, and of course, the person on the other end in the estate agent hasn't met me, doesn't know anything about me. But I'm talking about the numbers that I know I can meet. So they're going to tick a box there. I'm talking about the areas that I want to buy. So I've clearly done some research, right? I'm not running and say, oh, I want to look at, you know, any houses I work with investors, show me some houses, right? That's not what I've done. I haven't asked to see 20 or 30 uh, uh, houses, go on 20 or 30 viewings. What I actually said was, I think is what I said, and you can just go back and listen to what I said. Um, I've identified two or three properties. I'd like to come with you and view two or three properties Um, we can buy a couple of properties a month. So I'm dangling a carrot there saying, you know, if we get the criteria right, I can buy two houses a month. That's 24 houses a year for this estate agent's office. You are immediately a special customer. They do not have many people walk in the front door and buy 24 houses a year, even if they don't believe you at this point because they've not met you, right? The way that you say it is, is, is as important as what you say. And if you speak with volition and confidence, and why shouldn't you? Because you have done your due diligence, because you are in a position to sell a couple of houses a month once you've got your investor database in place, right? And that's the subject for another podcast episode. So based on what you're looking at, why why shouldn't you be credible? The next stage, of course, Before you hang up the phone, right, if I've already hung up the phone, (laughs) let's take a step back. Don't hang up the phone yet, right? I am going to be in town on 
and you pick, right? Wednesday morning, Thursday afternoon, can I meet you about half ten? Can I meet you about three o'clock, right? Make an appointment to see this particular person. Now, this may not be the particular person in the office who's got the authority to work with you going forward, right? But by making the appointment and they know who you are and then you go in and say hello and you have a five, ten minute conversation with them, they will, nine times out of ten, I promise you, put you in front of the person you do need to talk to in that office. So is this a more sensible way of doing it, right? Um, I think it is. I think it works, right? When you actually come to the office, meet, you're now meeting the team, right, in your mind. Okay, so you've made the point to see one person in the office, but actually, you know, other people may be sitting there. They may not be sitting there. They might be out on, on other business, but they might be sitting there. It gives you an opportunity to meet the team, talk about who you are, what you're trying to achieve, who you're working with, what your particular properties are, you know the values, right? But um, here's the thing, you know, uh, we are property professionals, so we're going to need, you know, it's how we earn our money. You know how this works, Mr. Estate Agent, right? This is how we earn our money. So I'm going to make you offers. You've got to be ready for me to make you an offer. Don't expect me to offer the ticket price for the property, right? I know you won't expect me to do that, Okay. But if I have to make a particularly low ball offer, I will give you the reasons why. Well, it doesn't quite fit our criteria. Well, we I'm not sure if we can multi-later yet because, you know, you've got the troublesome fourth room. You know, it's a bit small, right? Room size is a key, okay? Well, it's a little bit off the beaten track. And this particular investor, he loves buying single lets, but he wants to add in a little bit of serviced accommodation, you know, especially in the early years, because we don't know where this is going to go, serviced accommodation, right? But in the early years, he wants a, a multi-let return, but on a single-let house, right? And, and we find that by having guests instead of tenants, that's how we're able to do it. All of these sort of phrases that I'm sharing with you, all this terminology, it's, it's just coming out of me. I have got no notes for this <laughs> episode. For those of you thinking, David, you should really make some notes. <laughs> You're all over the place on this. Yeah, I hear you. I got it. Right. But I don't have any notes for this. Um, what I wanted to talk about is what I've seen and what I've heard over the last week or two with friends trying to work with estate agents. Now, some of you are doing it. Some of you are doing it. But some of you, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, are going a bit too fast, right? And making offers and making offers and making offers, right? And heaven forbid you get one of those offers accepted. And then I get a plain, uh, you know, a plaintive cry. David, I've had an offer accepted. What do I do? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> the reason I don't know, team, is I need detailed information on your patch, on your town, on your city. It could be anywhere in the United Kingdom. You know, and I have some experience of places in the United Kingdom, but not every single street in every town, right? And then what's been the basis of your offer? Who's Who is the investor that's going to buy it? And what, what are their criteria and what they're going to use the house for right so it's generally when I start to probe and ask those sort of questions to a young friend or maybe not so young friend who's new to the industry and has made offers and had an offer accepted if I say to them what was in your mind when you made that offer who were who were you making the offer on what type of investor is going to make that offer generally I don't get any answer at all to that question and that's absolutely key so it's like um, it's like simmering your supper on the stove, this game. It is. It's like, so 
you know, you can't have one one pot sort of boiling away, bubbling away, you know, loads and loads of deals, and the other pot cold, your investors. Okay, you ideally you need them both simmering at the same time so you can bring them together. So this episode in particular is about sourcing with investors, um, sourcing through estate agents, forgive me, sourcing through estate agents and how to make a start. And what we're making a start, in summary, what we're making a start to do is building relationships with the key people in the estate agent's office. So do not go rush around, do loads of viewings with somebody who hasn't got any authority, right? Uh, Do not make offers on properties just before, because you've seen 20 or 30 through the same office, 20 or 30 properties, and you feel obliged to make an offer because they start to look at you weirdly and think that you're a waste of time now, right? So you've got to make an offer to prove that you're credible. Don't make an offer unless you know who is going to be buying that house, which type, even if you don't know their name, right? Which type of investor? Is it going to be a single-let investor? Is it going to be a multi-let investor? Is it going to be a single-let with a twist, SA-type investor, okay? It's very important that you know that, and it's very important that you explain it to the estate agent so they get the rationale for your numbers. Then when you actually put an offer in, they're going to listen to you because they're more credible and you've got a, a different sort of relationship to the person that rushes in, wants to do 20, 30 viewings a month so they can make six offers, none of which are going to get over the line, okay? Do not. This is not throwing mud at a wall. Let's put a little bit of thought into it. Do your research online. Look at floor plans. Look at the council website. Look at the motorway system. Look where the big employers are based. Make sure you know your patch, right? Know the numbers of the houses in those specific areas. You should know what a Victorian terrace, two two bed, three bed, whatever, in your patch where you want to buy properties. You should know how much they cost. And you should know that they're always damp. And you should know that you're going to have to spend five to eight grand every single time you buy a house. And that's if there's no major problems, right? You should know all that stuff, okay? Um, I hope this has helped. Uh, I think it will help you cement your relationship with an estate agent. And if you just got one estate agent on board, they can give you all the deals that you're ever going to need to run your business. This is how important this is, okay? So one estate agent, if they give you one deal a month... Right, it's 12 a year, average fee five grand a deal, right? You are on your way, guys. You are. 60 grand a year. None of you listen to this, I suspect, are going to turn your nose up at that for the first year. All right? So I hope this has helped. If uh, you need anything more, drop me a message, contact me on Facebook, whatever. I will try and help you. Um, I know you're going to sell all of them. It's going to be great. Thank you for listening. I am David Siegler. See you on the next episode.